on the Dallas Opera Network. You're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however you're listening, it is America's Talk Radio Show about opera. It's Opera Box Score. I'm George Cedarquist, joined this week by Oliver Camacho. Okay. All right. This week, we go inside the huddle with Matilda Edge, the rising lyric dramatic soprano, has already accepted a tenure track position teaching at Oberlin, just as her singing career is set to launch. And then Chalk Talk, friends of the show abound in the 2022-23 season at Lyric Opera of Chicago. Rachel Willis Sorensen. Tamara Wilson, Lucha Lucas, Solomon Howard, Quinn Kelsey. But which one of them will be starring in the Barry Kosky production of Fiddler on the Roof? <laughs> Plus, two-minute drill. In honor of Valentine's Day, there is no two-minute drill. It's just me and Oliver hanging out on a quiet Valentine's Day evening. We thought we'd give the hard news a break in honor of Valentine's Day. And as you can see... Ashley, Weston, and Matt are all celebrating Valentine's Day with their loved ones or with their loved colleagues at rehearsal or whatnot. <laughs> so maybe they did this on purpose so that we would have to be alone and like work out our issues, you know, for Valentine's Day. Look, if you're watching on TDO, make sure you subscribe to the podcast, get the full show. Stitcher and Spotify, you click follow, Apple Podcasts, hit the plus sign. And again, remember, send us a voice memo. Email us your hot takes at operaboxscore at gmail.com. You're going to get an OBS beer coaster and an OBS lapel pin. I just sent today two packages of merch to our listener mailbag from last week. So there's no supply chain issue on our half. Not on OBS, there isn't. Okay, cool. On the show last week as well, we talked about national anthems, and here in the OBS office, we had a little bit of betting going on about the length of the national anthem. Now, Caesars Palace Sportsbook set the, quote, over under at 95 seconds, meaning you have to pick, is the anthem going to be shorter or longer than 95 seconds? I picked over. My colleagues actually picked specific lengths. The actual anthem was 110 seconds. Oliver picked 100. Weston picked 115. Ashley picked 120. So by the uh, prices right rules, Oliver, you would have won. That's amazing. Um, do I get to spin the wheel now? You do not get to spin the wheel, <laughs> but you do get to lord it over us for time immemorial. Okay. I, I also wanted to, before we go into the interview, just um, shout out my um, Asian American brother, Nathan Chen, for finally winning his gold medal in figure skating. Um the way that NBC had been handling this is like it was a foregone conclusion that he was going to win. And I felt like that put so much added pressure on him. And his mean rival had an awful short program, so he was even more mm -hmm. likely to win just based on the technical skills that he was planning on incorporating in, this, in his long program. But nevertheless, I felt really like nervous for him. Like, what if he didn't win again? And, uh, you know, what shame would he bring to America, you know, because they they even had like Steve Kornacki like come out and like do his like mathematical chart, like why Nathan Chen should win because he's going to do this and this and this and this, you know. Right. And then they had like these interviews with like Brian Boitano and Evan Lysacek and the other uh, American gold Evan medal winners. Evan Lysacek, yeah. Right. And I haven't seen Evan Lysacek since whatever the 2018 Olympics, and he's looking pretty good. So <laughs> okay, I'm very glad for that. Anyway, go Nathan Chen. Congratulations. We we stand. Inside the Huddle is going to kick off our show this week. 
Huddle up. Let's go inside the huddle. So we talked about Matilda Edge last week in the two-minute drill because Oberlin put out a press release saying that she was going to be appointed to the voice faculty on a tenure track. And that just got me thinking, like, how does this woman, you know, get, you know, what I think of as the dream? Like, you know, we all want to, like, have our tenure track positions as singers like ready for us when we're done with our singing career. Well, Matilda's singing career is just barely, barely begun, starting. right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, she did a year at uh, Marilla. She did. Right? A, yeah. She did a year at Santa Fe, and then she just finished. She's about to finish three years at the Ryan Opera Center. All of the most prestigious, you know, young artist programs, and she is clearly going to be one day a dramatic soprano. Right now, she's more in the lyric territory, but you can just hear in her voice the potential. And it's like everybody's waiting for this voice, you know, to be ready, you know. So I don't know. I just think it was very um, a lot of fortuitous for her to, like, have this opportunity and for her to be qualified enough to, you know, be offered that opportunity so that she has, like, some security uh, in her career, even after she's done singing. So I wanted to talk to her about that. We ended up talking, of course, about her being a mother, because that's uh, an evergreen topic for us. And interesting thing that I forgot to ask her about, but I remembered in the middle of the interview, even though I didn't plan to, was that she was in the Barry Kosky Magic Flute. And I wanted to know all about ah. what it's like to be in that, you know, how many um, cues are there? Like 700 right. cues in that show? Something like yeah. that. So Matilda Edge. So just a little snippet of Come Scolio from a performance at Indiana University with my guest, Matilda Edge, singing Fjordaligi. Uh, welcome to Opera Box Score. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I've been wanting to talk to you forever. I mean, I think you did a Met competition, um, regional, central region in Chicago. I forget what year. But people who know me know that, like, I go to those things, I take a picture of the program, and, like, I make my little notes, and, like, I circle, okay, this one, you know? And uh, before you were in the Ryan Opera Center, I remembered, okay, here's a soprano, you know? And I don't remember what happened that year. I don't know if you went on to uh, the finals or if that was one of the years where you just did regionals, and then you had to come back and do it again at a different, I don't know. Did you did you make it to finals from Chicago or did you have to go to a different region to make it to finals? You know, I actually never even made it to semifinals. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, some of it I think is I started doing the competitions a little later okay. in my career, like in age. And yeah. I just the clock ran out. So oh. I always every time I competed, I made it to the regional level and then I would get second or third place yeah, and because like uh, some baritone or something like that would get it like, yeah but yeah. you know that's that's kind of the plight of being a, a big voice soprano is well someday she'll be ready you know as opposed to she's ready right now well the irony is that it seems like every 
like finishing school, young artist program, like Houston, Santa Fe, Chicago, um, Marola, you know, everybody wants you. And you've already, you had a year at Marola, you had a year at Santa Fe. Did you ever do the Houston program? I didn't. I was a semifinalist for them. Okay. And then uh, I went home after that and licked my wounds and no, I'm kidding. Uh, went home and I went back to work. You know, I think that's, that's the key of what we do. We get lots of no's and we just keep moving forward. So um, I'm trying to think that was 2016 and it was in February. So then thereafter, gosh, it all starts to run together after a while. It was very, it's very quick. Um, quick turnaround there. Well, I guess I should just for context, because there's going to be a lot of people who don't know who you are yet. Uh, we in Chicago have been watching you, us people who go to everything and we say, okay, well, here's this voice. It's just like, it's simmering, it's simmering, you know, like any minute now, it's going to be this incredible instrument. It's already a beautiful instrument and you already have proven that you can get on stage and like sing like Visidarte or sing whatever Escape Van Reich or like Madam Butterfly. And like people say, yeah, that's that sounds right, you know. But you are young for your voice type. So you're not going to get hired to do those roles like tomorrow. Right. But it's clearly in your future. And um, you know, Ryan Opera Center is not an easy program to get into, and neither is Marola or Santa Fe for that matter. Can you talk about this? I would love to hear about Santa Fe and Marola, actually, if you want to talk about them. Um, but uh, I don't know. I mean, like, I want the the sopranos who have your, who are really big voiced sopranos and big voice singers that are listening to this to hear what it's like to be at this stage in your career and what these young artist programs are doing for you, what they can do for you while you're still while your voice is still, you know, settling down and becoming what it's going to be. Sure. You know, I think it's important to go back even a little bit further than even those programs that when I started my master's program, I was so green. I had never even been in an opera before. And I was actually in scenes programs. I was doing like Susanna at the time. <laughs> like Carla Floyd Susanna or Susanna, like no. Mozart, Susanna. <laughs> like okay. di Figaro. Okay. It's funny. There's actually a recording of Margaret Price singing Divini Non Torto. I don't know if you've ever heard it before. It's like. <laughs> I, well, you know, but the reality of the situation is, is that's a great option, I think, at that yeah. age, because it, it allowed me to explore character mm -hmm. and sing something that was age appropriate and vocally yeah. appropriate for me at that time and not pushing me too fast. Um, too quickly. And I think the, the danger of a big voice is we hear them and we get mm -hmm. so excited. We're like, yes, there's another big voice. Okay. You mm -hmm. need to do this and this and this and this and this. And I was just completely blessed to have a team of teachers and mentors that said, hold your horses. Mm -hmm. Let's take this baby steps. Um, and I have to say at some points, maybe it was a little too slow. But mm -hmm. at the same time, I, I think it's, I think it's proven to work very well for me. Um, and so when that all started, you know, I was singing this, this lighter rep and um, gradually getting into some bigger stuff. And I spent um, a couple months in Germany on a fellowship um, through the Georgina Joshi Foundation at IU in Berlin. And I took lessons there and 
I came back kind of a new singer at that point. And that was, would have been summer of 15. Um, and then after that was when I started doing kind of competitions and the Fiorilegi that you saw and those sorts mm-hmm. of things. Um, so did you get your master's from IU? I did. I did okay. my master's there. And I they, did... they put on like real good shows there. It's like, that is like the opera factory, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Every, I think it's known as the factory. I, I never really felt like it was a factory personally, but um, I, you know, I, everybody has their own experience for sure. Uh, but it was, it was a great time for me to be able to be on stage, to be learning from some of the, the great teachers um, of our, of my time at least. And after that, when I got did you work back with Carol Vanis, I didn't, but she is a close okay. mentor of mine. I love her okay. very much. Oh my God. I forgot to say about her. <laughs> <laughs> I love her. She's so, 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 so nice. In fact, when I sang Fiorligi, um, from the recording you heard, she was, um, always texting me like, this is great. This is great. This is great. You should do this and that sort of thing. And so that was super <laughs> helpful. So you might hear a little influence of her in there somewhere. At least I hope you do. Cause Holy cow. She's great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think after that, when I came back from Germany, by the time I figured out that was when I did my, sorry, if you hear my daughter crying, you might want to edit. No, that we out. love babies on this show. So yeah, it's fine. <laughs> um, yeah. When I came back, I, all of a sudden decided, Oh, I should probably do the Met competition that year. And cause I had never done it before. And that was probably when you heard me in Chicago actually. But so I decided to do that and I, um, didn't think I would go very far. And I ended up getting, I think second or maybe third in the regionals. So it worked out in my favor. Um, but by that time, I think Galitha, uh, judged it that time, Galitha mm-hmm. Nichols. Mm-hmm. She was like, you know, you really should like, look at some summer programs. Here's kind of a list of what you should look at. Um, and I was like, really, you think I could do that? I didn't think I was one of those singers. I didn't think I was that, you know, far advanced or whatever. So by that was time, it like, was it understanding of repertoire was it understanding of not of, uh, languages or style? Like, did you feel that type of green or were does it, you felt green because your voice was still sorting itself out? I felt green in part because of my repertoire, because it was kind of all over the place at that time. Um, and also to, I just, ne- I don't know. I think I second guessed my abilities mm-hmm. to be able to. Well, do. what, I mean, just for, for those people who have, there's so few of them, but who have your voice type, were they giving you like Marguerite or were they giving you, um, you know, like Agatha, like what were the arias that your teachers were assigning you that like made it confusing because I if I was your teacher I'd be like oh my god I wanted to sing this I wanted to sing this or sing this I could I could see how you just trust teachers to you know that they know what's right for you and then you end up singing stuff that is it's too early to work on you know yeah I you know I never really I don't feel like I was over assigned in terms of size of repertoire mm-hmm. early on I remember I was offered I think I was like 20 25 mm-hmm. I was offered to do a butterfly at a summer mm-hmm. program that was a pay to sing somewhere and my teacher was like absolutely not <laughs> and I was like why not and he's like because you're just too young yeah. um and so and instead I'm pretty sure he gave me some Beethoven or uh sorry some Handel or Mozart <laughs> or something okay. you know, a little bit more yeah. appropriate for the time uh and then when and I just actually- said Beethoven now I want to hear you sing up short of the hair so badly <laughs> someday. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I think after that, it was like, 
okay, well this, if somebody's telling me I should do this, I should at least look into it. So mm-hmm. I did, but by then it was too late to apply to summer programs. So I decided, okay, I'll just do competitions and see where that lands me. And so I, I literally just spent all summer doing any, uh, any competition I could find. Um, and that's, so that's where you see that big chunk of <laughs> competitions that I, I'm pretty sure I placed third in every single one of them too. So, um, that was a bummer, but also like a good booster at the same time. Um, having been an athlete, you know, I, I really like winning. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, but then, yeah, after that, I, the following year, I decided I was going to start auditioning. And so I did my first real like audition trip to New York and did that whole, shebang and I I don't even remember I feel like I sang for so many programs and ended up with Marilla I loved that audition it was (laughs) kind of the most catastrophic audition I've ever had in my life but it worked out in my favor somehow Mm. um I sang what was I singing at the time I think I was singing Como at the time okay so you know on the lighter end of everything yeah but on the same audition, I had Un Beldi. Okay. So you see where the yeah. disconnect was and yeah. figuring out where I belonged vocally. And I just remember Sherry Greenwald being like, hmm, I think butterflies a little more appropriate. Let's head in that direction. And so then I ended up singing um, an extended scene from Thais as Thais that summer. And um, I feel like that really moved things forward. And Marilyn was such a great starting program for me being an older young artist at that time. Um, cause it's very, it's very good at getting your feet wet to understanding what this life is and how we work with our colleagues and how we, you know, live in a city away from everybody that we know and love. Mm. Um, and survive that way. So (laughs) I loved it. And then the following year I ended up at Santa Fe, which was just amazing. It's the most magical place. Um, did you have altitude sickness the first week? You know, I actually, I actually had, um, already accepted a job at university of Northern Colorado for a tenure professor position, which we can talk about a little bit later if you want. Um, So I had stopped through there for like a week to find an apartment on my way to Santa Fe. So I was lucky enough that I kind of, I stepped up gradually on my drive across the country. So I didn't really struggle with it that much. I know, I think some of my colleagues maybe did, but. I went to Santa Fe for the first time last summer uh, and like my tummy was mad at me for four days. It's like, you're not, you're not digesting anything (laughs) for four days. How about that? (laughs) So no chilies for you, huh? (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't mean I didn't eat. It just means I didn't digest anything. Oh goodness. So Santa Fe, what did they assign you there? I actually covered Ariadne and Ariadne of Naxos. Mm. So was it Amber uh, Wagner at the time or who who was singing Ariadne? It was Amanda, is it Esch- Eschelaz? Oh. Okay. Eschelaz. I'm not sure how to say your last name actually. Okay. Well, I don't know who she is. So okay. <laughs> I probably should, so but that's all right. Yeah. So Ariadne, wow. And then was that this year before you got into Ryan Opera Center? It was. So that was kind of a wild turnaround there because I actually, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this in public, but I never applied 
They went to hear you at Santa Fe. Yeah, they okay. heard me at Santa Fe. So, um, I, you know, I had this college job coming up and Dan, I believe it was emailed or called me and said, Hey, we really enjoyed hearing you. We'd like you to come to the finals. And I said, okay, sure. I'll go sing at Chicago. And he said, oh, well, hold on. You know, if you come, you have to be willing to sign the contract that day. And I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> so we had, cause I had actually just gotten engaged to my now husband a week before this all happened. And mm-hmm. we were planning to, you know, go to, to Colorado and buy a house and all of these things and, um, do that whole thing. And we decided, obviously it was too good to pass up. So we ended up in Chicago and I auditioned and (laughs) I think it was like six weeks into that job. I had to go into my boss and be like, I'm so sorry, but I'll be leaving after May. So I stayed the whole year, of course, and, um, moved to Chicago then that following May and, it was really hard because I really loved my students and it was, you know, a great starting position for me as a teacher too, at the collegiate level. Did you know Derek Chester when you were there? I do. I know him well. Love him so much. Um, Okay. Yeah. I forget that you guys know each other. Well, it's from the broke world. Yeah. Um, Right. So now we're talking about Ryan Opera Center and um, I mean, you had this great, like, kind of coming out. They assigned you to sing Berta in Barbara Seville, and you were so good. And, like, I mean, I don't, I know you're probably not going to sing Rossini. Maybe you'll sing Matilda, you know, in Guillaume Tell, you know, but mm-hmm. Rossini is probably not going to be your game, you know. But um, you had so much fun on stage, and you just were like, not what I think people who have your voice type would, would expect. Oh my God, she's like, she's funny and she's comfortable on stage and she can do whatever you ask her to do, you know? And it just makes me so, I'm so excited to see what's going to happen with, with your career and what we even Ryan Opera Center would do with you. And then of course, pandemic happens and like everything goes virtual. And I don't know if it feels like they just dumped cold water on all of you guys. And I know it's not lyrics fault, you know, but I think a lot of opera companies were trying to figure out how to, keep their brand, you know, on everybody's minds and pivot to digital and organizations as old as Lyric are not natural at that. They did, it doesn't come to them naturally. And they eventually figured it out. We have like this great video of Pagliacci, for example, you know, with Eileen Perez and Russell Thomas, but that came like almost a full year later, you know, um, what has it been like for you guys who are in this, one of the most prestigious, you know, finishing programs in the country to go to whatever videos and, you know, piano recitals. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for your compliments earlier. That's very nice. Well, uh, you remember when, when you did it, I actually was like, this was so good. It was, I do remember yeah, yeah. that was our first contact, I think yeah. actually. And gosh, how could I not have fun though with that cast? That was an incredible yeah. cast. Um, but nonetheless, yeah, that the pivot to virtual was I think for all of us, it was kind of a terrifying time in many ways, just because we really didn't know in any facet of life what was going on or what was going to happen. And so we really just had to sit back and say, okay, take the rein, somebody and figure this out. Um, I, in particular, was very nervous because I 
even <laughs> I got pregnant during the pandemic. My husband and I have a, a beautiful one-year-old daughter now. Um, but before that I was considered high risk because of some other health issues that I have. So it was a particularly scary time for me. And, um, I was very thankful to be employed the entire time. First of all, blanket statement and statement. I was employed the entire time and I was very supported in that. It was very hard emotionally and um, musically because I was bound to my home the entire time, whether we spent, I think a month or two at my folks and then ended up here in Chicago in a new apartment, thankfully bigger than our garden apartment that we started in one bedroom garden apartment. Um, and after that, it was just kind of like, okay, so what do we do? We have piano recordings sent to each other. We set up our halo lights and our mics and we sing into the mic and pray that our neighbors don't stomp on their floors or kick us out of the building when yeah, we yeah. do so. Um, I found it to be in some ways rewarding because I was one of the few that was able to continue to work remotely and, and create art, albeit very differently than we had before. Um, but it was also, you know, you kind of lose a sense of what do I actually sound like? I haven't heard myself sing because I have headphones on when I produce the sound and I'm only singing into the, the building that is surrounding me, no bigger spaces or anything. So I think that all had complications. Um, but I also think now as we hopefully start to move into the endemic phase of this mm -hmm. pandemic um that we my generation and my type of singer in particular those of us who are because of our voice types a little bit older and um but still kind of just coming out of this young artist realm mm -hmm. i hope that we start to see the fruitfulness of all of our hard work, because, you know, there's been this big gap in hiring because everybody's afraid we don't know what's going to happen. So I think a lot of us have these gaps in our schedules simply because, you know, the symphonies and orchestras are just now starting to do choral yeah. stuff again and opera companies, I hope, and I think are starting to feel more comfortable. Like they have things under control and can move forward safely. Um, but it has it has crushed the careers of a lot of emerging artists. I've seen so many people just like go to real estate, you know. Yeah, uh, we. I mean, at the end of the day, we have to be able to survive and make money, um, whether it's in the arts or not. Um, albeit, I certainly hope that mine continues to be in the arts because that's what I think I was put on this earth to do. Um, well, before I forget to ask you this, I have to because I want to talk about your pandemic project, which was making a baby. <laughs> um, can you tell us really quick, because you're the only person so far that we've interviewed that has been in the Barry Kosky magic flute. Uh, is it horrifying to be like 50 feet above the stage? You know, I'm a bit of a thrill seeker. Yeah. So it was not scary for me. I know for others though, yes, it was pretty terrifying. I thought it was cool because it gave us like a totally different um, viewpoint. Yeah. of the opera house and whatnot. Uh, and I'm actually about to go to Des Moines to do it. We leave tomorrow okay. to head to Des Moines uh, to do the same production. And okay, so you know the choreography already. <laughs> I do. And I, you know, 
try to try to keep it up. I, I think it's so ingrained in me that yeah. if you asked me in 10 years, I could probably still do it. <laughs> um, but you can't see what's behind you, right? Like on the screen, you just have to trust that that the director told you to do the right thing. Right. So it was really interesting because the way we stage it, at least mm-hmm. what way we did it in Chicago was we would watch the video mm-hmm. just sitting out on the screen and then we would start staging it, which was helpful. But it was also like not at the same time because you're like, wait, what am I looking for? I have no mm-hmm. idea. So then when you came back to looking at it again, you know, four or five times into it, you're like, oh, that's where the kisses are yeah. or you know that's where these yeah. this, that is and your platform is it just enough for you to stand is there any space for you to like if you need to shift weight like you know change the position of your feet can you do that uh yes and no like what i found to be the most comfortable position was actually to have kind of my toes curled around the ledge ah. <laughs> I know. I know. It's uh, some people find it terrifying, but actually it made you feel more secure. So, um, thankfully, like the whole time I'm up there, I'm standing with my hands on my hips and my knees are bent. So, you know, like you're very settled into it. Honestly, the scariest part is knowing that somebody's going to whip you back around and Mm. you better be ready because otherwise you're going to get caught. Okay. the, The space is so thin between the walls. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So like okay. if you don't hurry and stand up straight, then you could get you could hit an elbow or oh gosh. But <laughs> all right. Um, <laughs> so as you said, you have a beautiful one-year-old daughter. Um, and uh, this is a topic that's always evergreen for us. Can you just tell us about like your motherhood journey and you know your support system and how you split? parenting duties with your partner and um, what type of outside help you get when you are in a production week, for example. Absolutely. You know, being a mother and a singer are the two things in my life that I have always known I wanted to be. So um, there is immense joy in our household regularly now um, with having my sweet girl, Rosa is her name. Um, And so that was it, it was just wonderful. It was hard being pregnant in a pandemic because, you know, we didn't do anything, but I did, didn't know any better. So there's that too. Um, as far as trying to remember all your questions, you might have to remind me. As well, we just, I mean, well, the pandemic is also a whole other thing with like yeah. going to your appointments and like, you know, were you able to go into a hospital, et cetera. But what I'm more interested in is um, how you dealt with it with in terms of your schedule uh if you timed it so that you would be uh, taking your maternity leave when you weren't expected to be singing um how you divide parenting duties with your spouse or do you have outside help timing wise i we had kind of wanted to get pregnant during that time anyway um so our everybody's like you had a pandemic baby and like well it wasn't really intended to be a pandemic baby it just happened that a pandemic happened when we were already planning um and some of that came with timing it albeit maybe wasn't always going to be the best timing but we didn't know our schedule for the next year so it was one of those things there's there's never a quote good time to have a baby um but every time is always a great time (laughs) uh so yeah, that, that was kind of tricky, but it worked out in my favor, obviously, because I had nothing. 
and I was able to be very private during the pregnancy and be at home if I wasn't feeling well, those sorts of things. Um, and then once we kind of got back in the swing, I think I came back and my daughter was born in February and I came back into the opera house in May. I started working online again before that, but I was not in the opera house from, let's see, it was what March 13th of 2020 until early May of 21. Yeah. So like 16, 14, 15 months around there. Yeah. Yeah. And it was very bizarre because it was like no time had passed at all, but it was like, everything was so different. Um, but I, I was a live-in nanny for five years when I was an undergrad or excuse me, in my master's and doing some of my doctoral studies. So I, I felt like I was pretty good at kind of doing multiple things at once with children involved. And that has served me well. I <laughs> pro tip, if you are in a project production somewhere, the best thing you can do is find your local college or university mm-hmm. and find students there that love kiddos that would just want to hang out and take them to the park and that sort of thing. So like I basically, we live near Loyola. And so I have a, or had, we haven't really needed it too much this, this semester, but I have a spreadsheet, a Google sheet that they all have access to with all of their availability. And Mm -hmm. so I just like try to cover as many gaps throughout the day um, for that. And we contact them. I, I, obviously have to tell them, you know, we don't get our schedules until at least five o'clock the night before. So I'm so sorry, but college students are so like the go with the flow that they're great. They're like the perfect kind of babysitter that you want. But are you Um, relying on your own instinct to vet these students or is your husband helping with this vetting process? Uh, yes and no. So we, I think what we actually did. So my husband works from home. So that's a great cushion that like, you know, if somebody last minute says they can't come or we have no help for the next day, he can kind of fill in. And our daughter is, this was before she was completely mobile, which she is now. So she was very easy to kind of manage and uh, entertain from afar. Um, but yeah, I, when we did it, I kind of tracked them down and narrowed down, who we wanted to interview. And then we just would do like a FaceTime interview with each of them and get a good feel for them. I like to think I'm a pretty good read of, of people and my husband as well. So we were really lucky to find a few, one of which is like a second daughter to us still. Mm. Um, so we've been, we've been really, really lucky in that regard. It's been harder with Omicron just cause you know, still Rosa is still unvaccinated, but we've made do and sacrifices have had to be made. And I'll tell you, my husband is a saint, like Mm. he's amazing and so good with Rosa and very good at managing multiple things at once when I'm away. Well, we're running out of time. And I know that we could probably talk about the motherhood thing even more, but um, there are two more topics I want to touch on really quickly. One is because you are at Ryan Opera Center, uh, you regularly come into contact with, you know, the greatest singers of their generations, like Christine Gerke and like Sandra Radvanovsky. And since you're sort of like in their club vocally, uh, have you had a chance to like get any like practical advice about how to pace your own singing or like what sounds you might be making? Can you listen to this sound? Is this like, can you hear that? Is that good? I don't know. Like what you 
the, the people who are in your fog, I don't know how you hear yourselves. Cause it's like, when you're talking about like singing in your apartment, like with a keyboard track and earphones, like that is not what people want to hear from you. That's like, <laughs> we want to be in a space and like sit like, you know, 500 feet away from you and hear that sound, you know? So yes. it's the most unnatural thing to hear you coming through a video. I'm sorry to say, you know, <laughs> but a- you, but you have like, like I said, contact with these, these artists who share, you know, that thing with you and uh, have you gotten advice from them? You know, I wish I would have gotten to spend more time with Christine Gerke when she was here for the ring cycle. Um, mm-hmm. Of course that was thwarted from the pandemic and, but we were able to have, uh, I think we had one or two lunches together and um, it's on my to-do list to give her a call and be like, Hey, let's talk about this. And thankfully where I'm moving, we'll only be like three hours from Detroit. So I'm pretty sure we'll have, I hope we'll be able to have a, an open line of communication there and be able to visit regularly. Sandra, I met, you know, during Macbeth this season. Yeah. You were the lady in waiting. (laughs) Yeah. And I just adore her. She is so lovely and was so helpful, particularly when I was singing Visidarte at the park this summer. And she she was there so not at the not at the performance but before it and she's like okay so let's just coach this through really quickly since we don't have time outside of the rehearsal so we stood backstage and went through all of it she's like do you do this here no you should do that there and this there and that take this breath and <laughs> diminuo diminuendo here and um and i did most of those things i i think i hope i did it to her level of satisfaction but um i you know, it's one of those things I have a hard time talking about pacing with people sometimes simply because I think even if we all have similar voices, everybody's path is very different. And so I think there's a combination of understanding what others have done before you, but also understanding your particular instrument and um, your kind of goals and where you want to be eventually. I certainly want to be singing Brunhilde by the end of my career. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I would be remiss to say, I absolutely like wish I could sit down with Christine today and be like, what do mm-hmm. I need to do? But she would probably say, why you're, you know, you're only in your early to mid thirties. So you, you have some time, take your time. Um, and so just kind of looking at those careers, I think will be um, helpful, but not the, end all be all but I certainly think that it's it's worth my time to look into yeah oh Brunhilde um what about (laughs) Amelia and a masked ball (laughs) you thought about Uh, that role I haven't thought about it but I'll have to look into it okay Sam one of those people that's like poisoning you with like ideas (laughs) (laughs) okay so we've been dancing around this topic and actually before we uh we invited you to come on we saw the announcement uh, about your Oberlin job and me and the team are like this girl it's like wh- how do you get a tenure track position at one of the foremost conservatories before your career is even launched like it seems like you are like planting all these seeds and like you're like got this perfect show you did the motherhood thing you know you did the Ryan Opera Center you have this tenure track job and like just what what's going to be your path and is it an obstacle for you or is it security for you to have that job you know i certainly don't think it's an obstacle um i think that some of the basis of it is security um Mm -hmm. i think we all 
want and seek security in our lives. So there's always a component of that, but it, in many ways, it was a necessity for me as a person and as a human. Um, I love this art form. I love young artists. And I think it's important in order to be a good artist and a productive artist, we have to be building up the generation below us too, um, and generations to come. So that's, that's a large portion of it too. Um, I genuinely love to teach. I think I, I like to think I'm a natural born teacher. Um, I really enjoy that aspect of it. And um, did they seek you or did you apply for this job? I applied for the job. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did. I had a tip off to the position. Mm. I knew that it was coming up from a faculty member there, but. um, And you didn't get a bad reference from UNC. Like, no, she'll quit on you. (laughs) (laughs) I, you know, I was genuinely afraid of that, but I think that, uh, you know, everybody at UNC was very supportive of my move to Chicago because I mean, each one of them would have made the same decision it was, it was too good of an opportunity to pass up. So, um, but I am so thrilled about Oberlin. I think it's a great place in general, like great students. It's like on fire there. The students are excited. The faculty's excited. The faculty is regularly performing and doing new works, doing old things, all of this stuff. You said they encourage their faculty to, to pursue their performing careers. Absolutely. I mean, a portion of our tenure going up on tenure is, performing a large portion of it actually. So, um, you know, they understand the innateness of if you, you as an artist and a teacher are not performing, then, you know, how, how do we teach others to do the same? We have to have one foot and about four other toes in, (laughs) in the industry at any point so that we know what we're training our students to be into and to do. Um, so uh, it's going to be great. And the location is great. You know, we're what, 25, 30 minutes from Cleveland airport always. So I can jump on a plane and go anywhere, anytime, hint, hint, hire me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) They also say that Cleveland is a great classical music hub in in the Midwest and like their orchestras regularly like sell out concerts and whatnot. So the, the, that city is cultivated very well. Um, I mean, I've never been, so I, I wouldn't know, but I hear that it's, they're doing a really good job over there with building audiences. So that's what I'm hearing too. So we're, we're very excited about that. My husband is a classical trombonist as well. So, um, by trade, he works in business development during the day. Um, but so we're really excited for him to have access to that too, to hopefully be able to play some as well while we're there. Um, but it's, it's a very exciting move for us. Cause you know, it's fun to actually know where you're going to raise your family and mm-hmm. know that there's security in that on top of the performing stuff and to continue to be able to cook and grow as an artist myself, um, yeah. being integrated by other artists around me and no. And like your experiences are so fresh. And so you'll be able to really talk to those kids about young artist programs and competitions. And, you know, I went to a school whose faculty were definitely their careers were basically over mm-hmm. and their uh, relation to 
or their understanding of what was happening was based on like 20, 30 years ago, you know, like the whole, like going to Germany and like getting into a uh, fast contracts, like, well, then the Berlin wall came down and then all the Eastern Europeans took all those jobs. And so that experience is becoming much more uh, rare, you know, for American right. singers to go over, you know. Well, uh, I think I'm, it's also important to note that, you know, I, being young, I know all of the people firsthand who are leading these companies, maybe not all of them, but I know a handful, a large portion of them, or know somebody who knows somebody to be able to say, I have this student, or there's this, this singer that you've got to keep an eye on because they're really going to do stuff. And I, I think that's, I think that's really important. Not that it's necessarily pulling strings for people, but um, we have to encourage growth. And that's one way we do it is through who we know and how we know them. <laughs> yep. Well, Matilda Edge, I wish we had more time, but uh, I think we've already gone on for 45 minutes. So there's other parts of this podcast we got to get to. So <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, no, no, it's it's totally fine. Uh, thank you so much for being on Opera Box Score. Of course. Thanks for inviting me. It's wonderful. Again, if you're watching on TDO, make sure you subscribe to the podcast, get our full show, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your pods. This show is 94% likely to be there. Ashley Hardgrave dropped us a voice memo about her take on the Super Bowl. Take a listen. Well, kids, another Super Bowl has happened. And for Super Bowl 56, we return to the site of Super Bowl one, the city of Los Angeles. And in a relatively evenly matched battle, both teams scoring identical amounts of points in the regular season, it really took until the last two minutes, although no overtime, for us to figure out where this game was going to go. To a town with some of the most diehard fans in the league or to a team that until two weeks ago forgot they even had a team. Congrats, Los Angeles. And now for an abridged series of shout outs. Shout out to Cooper Cup, who went undrafted into college and then became the Super Bowl MVP. Little reminder for young singers, if you don't get into your dream school, but you keep working at your craft, you just might sing at the Met someday. Or a house that's slightly more progressive, do you? Shout out to the Bengals, who in two years went from the worst record in the NFL to AFC champion and their first Super Bowl berth since I was in elementary school. Do not ask me when that was, but if you Google it, you can figure it out. Shout out to the Rams Jefferson, Van Jefferson, who in a matter of minutes went from celebrating his Super Bowl to being rushed out the door to the hospital where his wife was in labor with their second son. It's no Lydia Yankovska conducting, taking a night off to give birth and then coming back, but it is impressive nonetheless. For any listener attracted to men, can we take a hot second, and I do mean hot, to discuss how weirdly handsome both of these quarterbacks are? Joe Burrow of the Bengals, my God, there is something behind those eyes. He takes fashion risks I have not seen many white men do, and they pay off for him. Good Lord. Matt Stafford, also handsome, but in like a very accessible way. Like, he looks like he plays quarterback for the Rams, but he also looks like he might be showing up next week to fix my hot water heater. Either way, I'm here for it. I'm here for both. I'm saying it was a good night. Let's get to that thing that most of us, or at least I, really care about. 
the music. Let's talk opening ceremonies. Janae Aiko doing America the Beautiful was just fine. I am not a fan of breathing in the middle of words, but I'm also not the one singing in front of millions of people, so I'm going to give that some grace. Mickey Guyton, there was this like interesting start to the national anthem. I think it was just a weird orchestration or like the music didn't come in. Overall, though, her representation at this event is a big deal as a country artist of color. I liked it. I liked her. I love what they did with the backup singers. No, I didn't win the time bet, but overall, pretty okay by me. Well done. But for me, the big winner of the performances was iconic gospel duo Mary Mary singing with members of YOLO, the Youth Outreach for the LA Phil, performing Lift Every Voice and Sing. The orchestration was beautiful. They are insanely talented. This was the moment that moved me to tears. It was pretty early on in the ceremony, so you should YouTube it if you haven't seen it. It's worth your time. Also, check out the rest of Mary Mary, because if you haven't gotten a chance to get that blessing, you should. Start with their track Shackles, 20 years old, still hits real hard. Halftime. You know, we got to talk about it. Listen, I know this is an opera show, but I also know that a lot of you, like me, listen to non-classical music. And this show was pretty fantastic. I really welcome the change from one headliner to like an ensemble of artists. There's only a few folks who can truly handle the weight of an entire halftime show on their shoulders. And most of them have one name. Madonna, Beyonce, my personal all-time favorite, Prince. Still, this rapid fire, Dr. Dre and his buddies, spectacular, was a very entertaining event for me. To be fair, it was music that means a lot to me. 15-year-old me, 21-year-old me, 27-year-old me. There were some track additions that made sense, like next episode, some things I definitely missed. Oh, I really wanted to hear gin and juice. And honestly, I would watch Mary J. Blige sit at the DMV waiting for her license renewal. So watching her sing for a few moments about hateration and dancery in mirrored boots and a floppy hat, I am all the way in. No more drama indeed. But more important than the track selection, the surprise guests. Hello, Curtis Jackson. Nice of 50 Cent to join us. More than the epic choreography. More than them altering Kendrick Lamar lyrics to play nice with NFL censors. There was the cultural significance of them being there at all. The set design was a love letter to South Central Los Angeles. The courthouse, MLK Monument, Tams, Randy's, that glowing map of Compton. So much of this performance was met with absolute love online or absolute rejection online. I will let you figure out who said what. And those who didn't like the show, I hope you take a moment to think about how if you didn't like the Super Bowl halftime, it probably wasn't for you. And while I like this music very much, it wasn't, quote, for me either. It was for hip-hop. It was for Inglewood and Compton. It was for black music and for a historically conservative league whose players are 70% black and still has a hell of a long way to go to fix their problems. There was a lot of significance here from the artist to the set design. Oh, and by the way, there was a Pulitzer prize winner on that stage. Seriously, Kendrick Lamar won the Pulitzer in 2018 for artistic excellence for his album, Damn over by the way, two classical composers. So while it was super awesome to see all of these artists together in spectacle I think the biggest takeaway is to understand exactly why this night was such a big deal and to celebrate who this music is truly for on a stage that was truly overdue. Thanks, Ashley, for slogging through five hours of football, which was probably not a hardship for you and some real insights into the musical selections from Lift Every Voice and Sing to the National Anthem to the Halftime Show. The, the Halftime Show for... 
for a young man who grew up on 90s and 2000s hip hop was utterly overwhelming to watch. I literally mm. like choked on my dinner as I was watching it. The only, in a good way, like a nice choke? Oh, in a good way. Uh, just oh. overwhelmed with emotion. The, the one thing I didn't get was why the scenic design for the halftime show was exactly the same as the Hans Neuenfels production of Marriage of Figaro from 2003. Mm. I didn't Rest get that Rest in peace. Part. An utterly brilliant halftime show. And thanks again, Ashley, for your take on that. Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. Well, call it a hometown team, but Lyric Opera of Chicago has released its calendar for the 2022-2023 season. Matt Cummings sent in some thoughts on that. Hey, look, don't ever say that just because the team is not on the screen... That they're not thinking about the podcast exactly. all the time. Exactly. Yeah. Except for Weston, who didn't contribute, but he is doing all the, the editing. So we're going to break down the lyric season here, not chronologically, but by wins, losses, and huhs. I guess we could call those ties <laughs> in sports language. Oliver. Well, it, so hap- it just so happens that the first show of the season, the season opener, I guess is going to happen in September of 2022, uh, is Ernani. Um, the early Verdi opera, which will star friend of the show, Russell Thomas, friend of the show, Tamara Wilson, friend of the show, Quinn Kelsey, and Christian Van Horn. And Matt says that that's about as good of a cast as you're going to get for this show in 2022. And I I, be, I definitely agree. Um, conducted by Enrique Mazzola. The stage director is going to be Louisa Muller. Do you yeah. know Louisa Muller? Yeah, Louisa Muller. She's a staff assistant director at the Metropolitan Opera. I can't imagine that she created this production from scratch. It's not clear mm. from the materials, uh, but I don't think this is a, an original production. I think this is a remount. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know the plot of Ernani, and it's not one of the an opera I spend a lot of time with. I just know that it's difficult for um, probably all the principal cast. So yeah, it's a big uh, we We just had this Verdi Voices concert here in Chicago with Russell Thomas and Tamara Wilson. And uh, Tamara Wilson sang the famous aria, Ernani Envolami. And I'll definitely go just to hear her sing that again. So they're also doing another Verdi opera in this season, which is Don Carlos. And I don't remember exactly which version they're using. Uh, I think they're doing it in French. Uh, Yes, it's sung in French. And they're doing the five-act version. It's the lyric premiere of the five-act version, which will star a friend of the show, uh, Rachel Willis Sorensen, uh, with uh, Clementine Margen as Princess Eboli, Joshua Guerrero in the title role, uh, Ivor, Igor Golavalenko as Rodrigo, uh, Dmitry Belosolsky uh, as uh, Philippe, and friend of the show Solomon, Solomon Howard, Howard as the Grand mm-hmm. as the Grand Inquisitor. These are all great artists. Okay, we we don't need to slight them. I will say this is a dreadful choice for Chicago. This is a great choice for me. It's a dreadful choice for Chicago. Sh- Chicago has to endure yet another grayscale David McVicker production. <laughs> okay. This is great for me because now I have I have someone to tease and make fun of basically all through the upcoming season. So this is a gift to me. I can... Yeah, we just had the McVicker Macbeth here in Chicago, which was also pretty grayscale. I mean, literally, Oliver, if you look at the printed materials from Lyric, you look at the production photo, it is grayscale. People don't, people (laughs) think I'm, I'm making this up. 
I'm not making it up. Strangely, the revival director, Sir David McVicker, I don't think he directs his own revivals. This guy called Axel Weidauer, who I actually know from Oprah Frankfurt, which is where the production is coming from. He is, he's quite a character, Axel. I might go see this, not to see the production, but so I can hang out with him afterwards. Well, Matt comments that um, this opera is a monster because of the various versions and languages. Plus, it's just so freaking difficult and expensive since it was written for Paris and they had all the money in the world to put on huge operas 150 years ago. We are very excited, nevertheless, to hear Rachel Willis-Sorensen back in Chicago as Elizabeth. Yeah. So also on this season uh, in the wins category for Matt is the um, new concept that uh, Will Liverman is on the creative team for and also starring in called The Factotum which takes place in a black barbershop. And it's a collaboration with King Rico, who I guess is a DJ. I mean, he's a hip hop producer. Okay. Uh, he wears many hats. Multi-instrumentalist. Mm -hmm. uh, Absolutely. Yeah. So I don't know what the cast is, if it's more than Will Liverman, but um, the only people we know for sure are going to be in it are going to be Will and King Rico. And uh, I don't know how long it is. Is it is it going to be... Uh, you know, evening length. Um, they're, I, they're putting it on the main stage. So, well, they are, they are, and they aren't, right? So, it's at the Harris Theater. If you're not from Chicago, oh. the Harris is oh, the Harris. considerably okay. smaller than Lyric. Lyric clocks in about 3,200 seats. The Harris is closer to, to 1,200. Um, obviously, Will Liverman, brilliant artist, King Rico, great artist. What I find surprising about this is not that this is a piece which has come up through the ranks of Lyric Unlimited. It's been in development from last year. It's a great choice. It's an exciting material. I, I don't understand the choice of venue. The Harris seems like a strange place to do this piece, right? Well, they did uh, the uh, Charlie Parker opera there. Yeah, and they but, did the American they, the the one about World War Two, the uh, Japanese internment opera. But I they also did um, fellow travelers, like at the Athenaeum Theater, which is yeah. which is even smaller. It, it this just to me feels like a piece that, that shouldn't be happening in the loop. It should be happening in one of Chicago's neighborhoods, um, not necessarily on the South Side, but it, it could be on the South Side. It, it feels like this, so you want to get it out of downtown. You're saying it into more into the community. I want to get it into the community. And I'm not going to say... What, what venue would you... I mean, we could talk about the offline, but what venue would you propose? Well, I don't want to exclude the folks that, that aren't from Chicago. It feels like it should be a smaller venue and it should run for a longer period of time. Hmm. Okay. Because I think, I think you get more investment from the community if you give people more of a chance to get there. So Matt says that uh, Will Liverman, of course, is a friend of the show, and he's having a year... Uh, I'm sure uh, some that of would the... be an understatement. Having, yeah. He's having years <laughs> right right now. His face his face is all over the um, Chicago bus stops. <laughs> uh, I'm sure some of the donor class will grumble, but it's good that young people and young singers engage with opera on a personal level and bring themselves to the art form, especially when those singers bring different experiences and perspectives that shape the works and highlight the universality of the themes. And Matt hopes that this project is also going to include initiatives and opportunities to build up and highlight the south side of Chicago and the people who live there. So moving on, uh, another main stage at the Lyric Opera House, Civic Opera House, uh, Carmen, an opera that I think you said last last week, everybody's doing Carmen for whatever reason. 
I mean, they always do, but it just seems like next season, like everybody's doing Carmen. But we have like top, top Carmen of this generation. It's Janae Bridges, who Chicago audiences know very well because she really made her bones here. And friend of the show, uh, Charles Castronovo singing Don Jose, very different than the um, Nemorino he just sang here last season. Mm. And uh, making her Chicago debut, Lyric Opera debut, is Golda Schultz uh, as Micaela. So two Black principal singers in this cast. Uh, the Escamillo is Andre Kiamach. I don't know who he is. I'm so sorry. But he looks very handsome in his picture. There you go. Hey, that those headshots, always important. Uh, Marie Lambert is directing the production, which I believe is from San Francisco. Uh, again, it's my, it's, my, it's my same challenge, which is I think this cast is incredible. When I look at the production photos, they leave me cold. Like, I, I, I don't understand why you can bring this opera to the stage and not create a world which is more visually on point than what I'm seeing in this brochure. Well, production aside, this is a fantastic cast. And maybe they're spending all their money on getting, you know, Janae and Charles and Golda to be in it, you know? Who knows? Uh, In the win category uh, is a triptych that they're calling Proximity, all world premieres. Uh, The composers are Daniel Romain Bernard, or DRB. John Luther Adams, not to be confused with John Adams, John Luther Adams, and Caroline Shaw. And they are paired with librettists, respectively, Anna DeVere Smith, John Haynes, and Jocelyn Clark. Uh, Matt says, I know most of these names, and I'm really already interested to hear more. I think it's great that the lyric is not stopping with Belcanto from a few seasons ago, Belcanto, the Jimmy Lopez opera, and really is investing in new works from people who have a lot to say. Double bills slash triple bills can be tricky if they feel disjunct. This isn't exactly the same, but how many times on Top Chef has somebody been sent home because they threw together two dishes instead of committing to one great one? (laughs) However, I do think the benefits outweigh the risks here. Shorter length can be a benefit for operas with a lot to say because it also helps focus the message and the music into something more digestible. Also, Yuval Sharon is a brilliant director. So what are we waiting for? Also, the cast is full of exciting young voices who bring so much to the art form. Lucha Lucas. John Holiday, who was yeah. on The Voice recently, Talise Trevina and Zoe Reams are all singers whose work I know pretty well, and they are not here to mess around. That's from Matt Cummings. This is tricky to me. First of all, I'm not sure I understand what this is. Okay, it's a triptych. And what they're going to do, I talked to, to Anthony Freud about this. They have three operas that are going to kind of be happening sort of simultaneously. They're going to mix up the order, I think, every day. Uh, and they're all they're three different uh, social justice pieces. Um, one has to do with climate change. One has to do with uh, oh boy, I knew this at one point, uh, gun violence, and one has to do with reckoning with technology. Um, so yeah, they're all going to. It's going to be random, apparently. Uh, and it's going to have like sort of whatever improvisational feeling towards it. But, What's going to um, be improvisational? Like the performance is improvisational? I don't know. See, don't you don't know, know, man. This is the, <laughs> you don't know. This is the thing, right? Is when this is like gathering an all-star team. This is like gathering mm-hmm. a World Cup roster. And the problem with a World Cup roster is you have so many stars and none of them know how to give space. I'm not saying that the artists on this show are egotistical. 
I'm saying they're brilliant. My question is, how is this going to gel? How is this going to come together? And look, there's a lot of time for this thing to happen. I'm speaking on the barest of knowledge between Oliver and a brochure. That's my question is, how is this? Yeah, it's really, I mean, it was really hard to describe. I went to the PR, the press release event, uh, the announcement event, and uh, they had trouble describing it. Um, But it's apparently three Uh operas. Oh, SpaghettiO. Yeah, it's three operas. It's um, all this talent, these incredible composers and librettists that know that they are creating a work that's going to be presented as a unified whole, but they have to each stay in their own lane. So I don't know. That's we don't have anything to compare it with. So I mean, we can't complain when they try something new and they put it. They're going to put this one on the main stage. This is not going to be at the Harris. It's going to be at the Civic Opera House. So look, I would be ha- remiss to be complaining about something that I don't know anything about. Uh, by the way, Kazim Abdullah conducting. So great. Yes. I'm an open-minded guy. I, I love the content i love the stories i love these artists let's see how this comes together so some so matt has created a lost column here and he said he was excited for the early verdi initiative but so far it's been focused on operas that are pretty standard repertoire like macbeth and now ernani attila was part of the early verdi initiative but that was one that was sort of pivoted uh towards uh, an online event because of covid uh, Matt would like to see other early Verdi operas that have not gotten as much attention, like E Lombardi, for example. Uh, also in the lost category for Matt Cummings is going to be the Hansel and Gretel revival of the famous uh, Richard Jones production. I'm not mad about this. I love this production. And I think it's a great show to bring children to, especially. I, I think Matt's completely wrong on this as well. There is not enough room on a stage for Richard Jones. You know, he did uh, Ariodante a couple seasons ago in the before times, pre-pandemic. This Hansel and Gretel is so utterly delightful. Uh, Eric Einhorn, uh, a friend of mine as the revival director, Sir Andrew Davis conducting. Is that from Onsite Opera, Eric Einhorn? The one and only. Oh, yep. Hasn't he been on the show before? He, uh, I don't know if he's been on the show. I mean, he was a staff director at the Met for many years. Then he's got Onsite okay. Opera. But um, presumably, this production is from, actually, oh, it's from Lyric originally and uh, Welsh National Opera. So this is Sir Andrew Davis conducting is set to come back, even though he was supposed to have already farewelled. But, you know, COVID messed up all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, now they have a new music director, Enrique Mazzola, and Andrew Davis is now emeritus or whatever. The cast includes Samantha Hankey making her lyric debut as Hansel, Heidi Stober, a lyric favorite as Gretel, and The Witch will be played by Michaela Martins. That's the cast that they've announced so far. Um, so yeah, uh, Hansel and Gretel in Matt's Lost category, but I'm not mad about it because I think it's a beautiful show. Um, in the huh <laughs> category or ties. So lyric, lyric opera used to do before the pandemic, they used to do eight main stage operas and a musical. Uh, the pandemic obviously changed things and the current season has five, uh, operas and I think a musical and next season we'll have six operas and two musicals. Um, so we have Fiddler on the Roof, which is going to be in the main stage season yes um but it's the barry kosky production and it's apparently a very personal uh show for barry kosky who is um, jewish yes and um 
you know, trying to bring it back to old school musical theater where the singers sang, you know. Uh, they haven't announced the cast yet. They're waiting to announce the cast until this summer. But we know that Barry Kosky is the stage director and that the conducting will be done by Kimberly Grigsby. Uh, that's in the ha huh category for Matt. This this production, again, came from the Komischer Oper Berlin, where Barry Kosky is the intendant. I love this show. I absolutely love this show. And I am not one to say lyrics should be doing their musicals. I think this is a brilliant choice of programming. I think it's a brilliant choice of production and director. And there is something so charming uh, and so meaningful about this work. And it actually, it also works really well in German. Uh, hmm. At the Komischer Oper, I assume it was well, I'm going to say I assume it was done in German, but I could be very wrong there. Isn't German pretty close to um, Yiddish? It's very similar to Yiddish. In German, this show was called Anna Tevka, which is the name of the shtetl where the uh, Tevya and his family live. And it works really well in German. I cannot wait to see this. And yes, I think I'll take the kids. Okay. And then the second musical is West Side Story, which Lyric just did a few years ago. And Matt is concerned that West Side Story is maybe overexposed at this point because of the movie and because of having been, you know, here, like I said, just a few years ago. Um, do we do we really love this show enough to see it twice within whatever, five years, you know, six years, whatever it was? I mean, would you go, Oliver, to see West Side? I saw the if it's the same production that that they presented Recently, I don't need to see that production again. Uh, it I is. It's, that... from, it's the same 2019 production directed by oh. Francesca Zambella. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't need to see that. Uh, we forgot to mention one more if I show, may, which is... yeah. West Side... Okay, so in l the light of the film that was released, and you can have your opinions about that film, whether it needed to be done at all. That's a, a big opinion. I, I'm not excited by this production. I'm excited to hear the Lyric Opera Orchestra play this. I would absolutely go and listen to like a zitz probe so I could hear the orchestra play that Sondheim, uh, Sondheim, excuse me, Bernstein score. But the actual production itself, I'm not sure why, as you say, Oliver, they're bringing back a production that is uh, just under four years old. Yeah. Um, last show that's actually part of their opera season is Le Comptori, which happens in November with friend of the show, Larry Brownlee as, uh, Ori and the Adele played by a singer I'm crazy about, uh, Catherine Lewick, uh, with the return of Joshua Hopkins as, uh, Rambo and the Isolier is a TBD, um, that's going to be conducted by Enrique Mazzola and directed by Bartlett Scher. Bartlett Scher. Now, for Matt, was this something that he didn't like or he did like? No, this was in his wins category. So. Okay, I was going to say, because this really is a win. When you get Bartlett Scher, who cut his teeth on Broadway, he's one of the best Broadway directors out there, to get his hands on a Rossini comedy with the likes of Larry Brownlee, I, this is like going to be pee your pants funny. And okay. I don't say that about every Rossini opera production. You'll check your pants. Bring your diapers, everybody. I shall. So the Lyric Opera season 2022-23. Exciting. Hope it happens. We'll see how this all, <laughs> you know, we'll see how this all plays out, right? If we were launching a season six weeks ago, I think we'd all be terrified that it wasn't going to happen. When was the press conference that you were at for this? Um, 
a week ago Tuesday, so okay. two weeks ago today, to tomorrow. Yeah. More recently, more recently than I yeah. thought. So LA Opera has announced its season as well. We need to get that uh, on a future show as well. But I think for now, Oliver, we're going to wrap this one up early. Good call, bad call. Good call, bad call on Opera Box Score. No two-minute drill this week. Stuff happening in Opera Land. We're going to get to that next week. Actually got some some big, big stuff happening next week as well. For this week, we're going to wrap it up. Good call, bad call. Oliver Camacho, what do you got? Well, I got a couple that uh, would relate to a two-minute drill had we done one. Um, today, February 14th, is um, Kabali's birthday, uh, born February 14th in at 1602. And also Renee Fleming's birthday. Happy birthday, Renee Fleming, born February 14th in 19... Beep. Um, great performances that just announced that Fire Shut Up In My Bones is going to be on their um, broadcast calendar April 1st. So check your local PBS stations for when... Fire Shut Up My Bones from the Met will air on your television. And Ashley's, go on. Ashley's got a bad call, so go. you go first and then we'll do Ashley. Yeah, uh, and finally, I just want to say um, there is a really great article. If you're a fan of Alice Coote, I'm sure you've already read it, but if you are a fan of Alice Coote and don't know about it, it's in Van Magazine, and we will add the link to our show notes. And she covers a lot of topics, but uh, mainly... Uh, gender confusion and revealing that her brother is transgender and uh, also stuff about um, gender equality uh, in opera, which, um, you know, she says it's 2022 and we're just starting the conversation and that's crazy. So, yeah, um, Alice Coote, I stand. Ashley's got a bad call and it's simply a link which is Michelle Tafoya enters Republican politics immediately after NBC Sports departure. Oh. Who is I she? Michelle Tafoya uh, was a uh, sideline reporter for NBC Sports. She did the Super Bowl yesterday on Sunday and uh, talking to The Athletic, which is a premier sports news website, sounds like she is running for uh, Minnesota governor. Oh, in the Republican category, yeah. So apparently uh, co- she... Co-chair, co-chair of a campaign for another candidate for Minnesota government. Let me apparently she drew specify. criticism for her comments about COVID-19 and Colin Kaepernick. So we know where she's going. Great. That's it for this week's edition of America's Talk Radio Show about opera. Our announcer, he's Norm Waddell, normwaddell.com. Again, if you're watching on TDO, make sure you subscribe to the podcast, get the full show, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Send us a voice memo. Email us your hot takes. Operaboxscore at gmail.com. Get that merch. Our creative consultant is Oliver Camacho. Our audio and video editor is Weston Williams. For our guest, Matilda Edge, I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera as you compete in the free skate despite failing your drug test. We're back with an all-new show next week when, okay, don't jinx this, we go inside the huddle with Jake Heggie. Plus, you get more opera headlines, more hot takes, and more Kendrick Lamar. Join us. 